Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through conversations with thinkers, scholars, and leaders, we explore the life of the mind and the questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Hello and welcome back. I'm Dan, your host, and we're bringing you another episode of Inside Upper House, where we pull the curtain back on some part of our project that's less visible from the outside. Today's topic is our event programming and curation, and we're trying to answer the question, how does Upper House decide on what events to host and which speakers to work with? Now, there's necessarily a creative aspect to this process, so it isn't a clean formula or a simple checklist to follow. As you'll hear, there's also a lot of variety in where ideas come from. But there is a set of principles we follow here at Upper House that we hope give our programs a distinct value to our community. So joining me to discuss programming are two colleagues, Melissa Shackelford and Dan Johnson. Hi, Melissa. Hey, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hey, Dan. Lots of Dan's going around. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa is our Director of Programming, and Dan is our Director of Technology and Campus Ministry Engagement. Along with me, who directs our university engagement, the three of us make up what we call the program leadership team. That's the current arrangement, though it's looked different in the past and will again in the future. Even so, what we'll be talking about goes deeper than any specific process and hopefully gets at the heart of how we come up with programming ideas here at Upper House. So let's jump into the conversation. Uh, Melissa, I want to start with you and just ask you sort of a basic question. How do you keep track of the themes, issues, and topics that might inform or actually become programs here at Upper House? Yeah, thanks, Dan. This is a great question and one um, I've been asked a lot in a variety of different settings. And so it was great to spend some time just thinking about how ideas are shaped within my mind. And for me, program development is very organic and intuition-based. To be honest, a lot of ideas are always floating around in my brain And I'm always looking to make connections. So I'm paying attention to what I'm reading, but I'm also paying attention to the conversations that I'm having on a daily basis, whether that's in my personal life or with colleagues here at Upper House or community partners. I'm also listening to podcasts or maybe attending a conference. And then I'm thinking about what's going on in the broader social moment or even the season that we're in. So for example, fall feels really different than spring, than summer. And I think about those seasonal contexts for how to approach a particular theme or idea. Another uh, resource that I often go to are publishers. So InterVarsity Press um, is a common one that, that I'll refer to looking at, you know, what new books are coming out? Who are the up and coming authors? Uh, What authors who I have an affinity for, are they writing anything new? Um, Practically, sometimes, you know, I save those ideas and write them down. Sometimes I have bookmarks and and links uh, that I'm saving. But honestly, I'm always looking for a lot of repetition and connections because I'm trying to discern what is the broader felt need? And ultimately, what does God want to do through the ministry of Upper House? And I take really seriously being able to be a steward of what gets to happen here. And so I'm wanting to listen um, to the spirit of God in that way to say, how is he speaking to me? But how is he also speaking to our community? And so I'm looking for, is there uh, something being repeated 
that I can see kind of bubbling up from the surface that this is the now thing and this is a particular person um, that might be able to speak to that. Thanks, Melissa. And I'll just say we'll we'll jump to Dan here in just a sec. But um, each of us are obviously different people and come to different different trajectories. But I think there are also a lot of commonalities uh, as well that, that we'll hear. So interesting to see sort of whether the overlaps and whether the differences. But Dan, how about you? How do you come up with themes, issues and topics for yeah. programs? Um, I basically have kind of two buckets that I kind of work from. One is just a cultural and kind of campus theme, um, just seeing kind of what's happening in our culture, both nationally and locally. Um, and then what's happening across campus? What are some of the conversations that are being had? What are the students interested in? Campus staff, what are some, some of the issues that campus staff are dealing with in relationship to students? And so so that's kind of one big bucket of it. And then I think just uh, the second bucket would be just resources. So where where you're pulling ideas from, uh, a couple of those are, for me, are Christianity Today, both online and in print versions, InterVarsity Press, which was I think was already mentioned. So Hearts and Minds Bookstore actually is mm-hmm. a really great um, space. They do an, an amazing email newsletter that has tons of resources in it. So you really get to see kind of what's coming down the line um, really great reviews on different materials and books that are coming out. So so those are kind of the two spaces in which I kind of always am kind of thinking about. And then maybe where is there some overlap? What's the themes that are happening around culture, around campus, and then these resources? And is there any linking uh, between those? Thanks, Dan. I resonate with both of what both of you were saying. Uh, when I was thinking about this, I, I divided it into three different buckets more more on like the way I actually accumulate the information so I have digital analog and relational and the digital is a, a lot of as as both of you mentioned sort of reading around contemporary conversations and a lot of that is things like Christianity today um, podcasts I listen to a number of podcasts um, that give me ideas of authors or or even topics to sort of read a little more into what I mean by analog is I read a lot of paper books. And I'm a maybe d- different than others. I ha- I'm really rooted in a one particular uh, way of seeing the world. And, that's his, uh, and so I'm reading a lot of history uh, a lot of times. And I'm actually following uh, footnotes a lot and sort of seeing when something interesting is mentioned, sort of who's being cited about that thing. And, and can uh, often those are a little more academic in orientation than I'd be comfortable hosting here at Upper House. But often you can trace those footnotes to more popular expressions of the same idea or the same conversation. And there's actually a couple of events that have sort of come out of following some footnotes. And then relational is uh, a lot like uh, Melissa was mentioning and, and Dan, sort of just talking to people in who come through Upper House's space. Or I have a pretty good network of particularly historians. I always have to make sure I'm not just listening to historians. <laughs> they, they're, they're a good group to listen to, but there's a much wider range uh, out there. But listening to what people are talking about or even writing, because a lot of the historians I know are actively writing. And I've had a couple events the last couple summers that I've been able to interview friends of mine who are historians writing on different aspects of religious history. And then really important to our local uh, relationships, people at UW, campus ministry workers or professors or grad students who are even closer sort of to our community than a more national network would be. I should mention here before we move on to the next question that each of us thinks about the communities we're serving a little differently. So we're not all trying to program for the same big bucket of upper house uh, communities. And if it wasn't clear, I focus on university communities, particularly grad students, faculty, staff, administration, and undergrad students as well when, when possible. 
Uh, Melissa and Dan, I want to ask you just to sort of articulate which communities uh, you're really thinking about when you're thinking about these ideas. Maybe Dan, you can go first and then Melissa. Yeah, um, there's kind of like a couple different communities that I continually am working with. So one of those is undergrad students, connecting with them. And you know, I, I think the the cultural narrative is very important <laughs> when we're talking about undergrad students. They're very aware of what's happening culturally. And I think one area that we have uh, done well in is doing collaboration with other groups that are reaching students across campus and doing some partnership events in those areas, but also, you know, entering into things around apologetics, deconstructing of faith, race, you know, those are some of the subjects that we've done most recently, some events around. So I think that, you know, that's just one area, um, one community. Uh, campus ministry staff, which is a really kind of a unique expression that we interact and I interact with a lot, and really kind of two areas. One is around kind of personal investment and personal development as a campus ministry staff person, and then the other is about professional development. How can we help equip campus staff to be more fully functioning ministers on this campus and really help them giving them some tools or opening their eyes maybe more broadly or widely beyond just this campus in issues that their students are kind of talking about. Thanks, Dan. What about you, Melissa? How would you articulate sort of the communities you're thinking about most often? Yeah, you know, most broadly speaking, I think about the entire Madison community, but I think of a variety of different professionals and backgrounds, which can include, you know, the church, a variety of different types of denominations, and then maybe more specifically like artists and writers. And I think one thing I was processing while you were talking, Dan, was my idea is sometimes I let develop at a slower pace or come a little bit later than some ideas that I've heard both of you pitch in our processes. And oftentimes it's because I'm holding kind of this broader umbrella of what is happening in our broader city and community. And, you know, maybe a certain idea is being pursued on, in a campus context or in an academic context. And I think, oh, okay, I don't need to duplicate that in a community context, but maybe I can pursue a different topic that complements something, or I'm looking to kind of fill the niche or meet a need that kind of sews something all together in terms of the curriculum, essentially, that we're building for a semester. Thanks, Melissa. And that actually gets us to the next question. You mentioned pitching and you were talking right then about the, the strategic level. Could you talk a little more, Melissa, about how you think about moving from all these potential ideas and themes and topics to the ones that you actually seriously consider as programs that, you, that we want to host here at Upper House? You know, sometimes it depends how that idea is coming about, which is what we've been talking about. So sometimes an idea comes with a, a strong speaker recommendation or a speaker based idea. Maybe there's a new book coming out, or maybe even a community member has reached out or a local church or partnering organization and has said, hey, we're really interested in this person. Honestly, the more connections relationally on, on the ground that an idea has really accelerates it for me. I feel like I've had real conversations with people who are saying, I want to hear from this person. This person would help me grow in my faith and my professional journey in my vocation. And that to me creates the synergy that really accelerates something toward a pitch. Now, when something for me emerges first as a theme, I'm doing lots of research and listening and asking questions and thinking who is the right person to speak on this theme. So I've also brought something to what we call like our, our pitch stage 
in a little bit of a less formed state to invite input and say, you know, I'm discerning something. I feel like we need to do something on the subject of prayer, but I don't know what it is yet. And I'm still listening. And what do you think about this? What are you hearing? And um, sometimes that can be vulnerable, you know, not to bring like a fully formed idea or something that is feels polished, if you will. But sometimes that's just a part of the the creative process. And to say, this is what I think is going to happen or what I think could really serve our community. Uh, A couple other things uh, that kind of bring about maybe the timeliness of a pitch is we do a lot of book launches. So we, we, a couple of us talked about referencing different publishing houses and oftentimes the, the new release of a book will prompt a particular pitch at a specific time that serves that upcoming book. Yeah. That's a really convenient hook for an event, right? Is that it's a, it's a recent publication. And so there's some a sheen of freshness to it uh, where there might not otherwise be. Dan, what about you? How do you think about the process from all these potential ideas to the ones that you really do want to pursue as programs? Yeah, I'm going to continue with Melissa's thread about connection with others. And so I think one of the things that there's an idea that lives in this kind of the idea form. And then all of a sudden there's threads of other people that I'm connected with who are having those same conversations about that theme or idea to me, then it gives some merit <laughs> to it to actually kind of pursue it uh, to the next level, to actually bring it to our team and think about it as a full program. Or maybe there's just a creative idea. Like um, we did, I did a couple photography events this summer here in person, and those were just connections with some other photographers. It seemed like everyone is using photography in a lot of ways that we've never really used before. I mean, Instagram is very active, right? And it's all about pictures and images. People are taking thousands of, you know, photos on their phones that are just usually trapped in there. But how could we link that activity to actually faith? And so I think some of those creative ideas of like, really bringing out fullness of an activity like that with a thread of faith. Great. Thanks, Dan. I resonate with with both of you. If there are ideas that then some have some type of additional information added to them about the local interest, that really helps me uh, make decisions. I've also found that it's very hard to predict. Often we're planning out six months or even a year out. It's often hard to predict exactly what the hot topic's going to be in six months. So I try not to let what I'm immediately interested in dictate what I want to plan for for six months out or something. That being said, that some of the most fun I've had programming events have have been ones that have had a relatively short planning schedule. So something that's not, you know, a year out, but something that's a couple months out that you can sit in it and see the whole process to completion in a, in a little quicker process. So I'm thinking particularly of a couple of the events I mentioned before about interviewing historian friends. I think they were fun for that reason, but they were often things in the summer that were just a shorter planning schedule. And it let me read the book, talk to the person, plan the interview, and then do the interview all within a couple months. And that, that prospect really excited me as I was pitching it, and then it was, it was enjoyable uh, as well. Okay, so thank you both for thinking through that. I want to end with actually getting a little more uh, concrete. That, that can be, but we do a lot of programs here, and we have a whole full slate coming up in the fall as well. And I want to just ask each of you to think back on a program that you curated that sticks out for its successful connection with the intended community. So we often actually have conversations here about what does a successful program actually mean? And this is one metric. It's not the only one, but it's one we talk about is did it sort of successfully land with the community that we wanted it to land with when we originally thought it up? 
So I wanted to ask each of you just to talk about one of those programs. Melissa, perhaps you can go first and then Dan. Yeah, this was a fun one to think about. And honestly, the first example that came to mind was something we just hosted this last spring called Unveiled Prayers of the People. And honestly, the whole inception of this idea came from wanting to connect with our community coming out of uh, the pandemic season, COVID, um, knowing that, you know, vaccine rollout was coming, but we didn't know when and we didn't know what it was going to look like. And we didn't know, can we come together? Can we not? And I was looking at this ambiguity of kind of the space and time we were in and also knowing just the the weightiness of disconnection between just our human lives and the craving we had to be connected to one another, but also connected to God. And so to me, when I'm trying to create an experience to meet a need like that, that's so abstract, I automatically think about art. And so I know that that visual art, the performing arts, installation arts, Art just speaks things in a way that we can't always with words. And so I ended up gathering together a um, cohort or a collection of local artists who exhibited existing pieces that they had that resembled or actually spoke prayers, hence the tagline prayers of the people uh, that were offered up as what was on their heart from this past season. So we hung that art and then invited people to come and not just uh, look at the art as, as visual art or a 2D experience, but to participate with it and actually go through basically a prayer walk. And so it ended up being a time where people could attend individually, but they also could sign up with their small group or come with um, their family or a group of friends and have more of a communal, communal excuse me, connection around that. And then the culminating piece that uh, Leslie EY created called Share Table allowed this interactive component. And so we actually received written prayers from everyone who came through the exhibit. And those were read at the end of the event time by the artists who all sat at the table. And we basically offered up the prayers of the people from that experience. So I really can't think of a more um, connected uh, with the community event than Unveiled. So that was a huge uh, success. Dan, what about you? Yeah, um, I mean, the one that comes to mind is a Veritas forum that we hosted here as a collaborative project in the fall of 2020. This is partly kind of the long trajectory of planning. And so, and the Holy Spirit just moving through that planning process. So we began that planning process in the fall of 2019. And so it was pre-pandemic, pre the murder of George Floyd, the summer of 2020, and we we were in this process, and we had already picked out the subject. We knew that we wanted to talk about race. Um, we reached out to Jamar Tisby about being our speaker, and he'd accepted. And so it just seemed like a lot of the thread of what was happening in culture, and I think a lot of kind of white evangelical students on campus didn't know how to have conversations around race specifically. They didn't have the tools in the toolbox and certainly do that. And a person like Jamar Tisby was able to come, give them a theological view of race, but also some tangible, practical tools to have those conversations as white evangelical students, which is a majority of who we connect with here around our campus. And it was just a a great evening together to be able to see that and the fruit from that and allowing students to kind of build some practices and to see race as in a different light than they had seen before. Um, I think was really helpful. So it, it was, the subject matter was very weighty, but the action that was happened outside of that and the response to it, I think was really, really positive. 
Thanks, Dan. That was also a, a technical achievement. Jamar was here. I remember that. One of our only speakers to be here in that whole season. And there was also a massive, uh, we didn't have many people here in the space, but there was a massive virtual audience for that yeah, too. Yeah. So a lot of moving parts on, yeah. on that front <laughs> as well. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you both. I'll, I'll end with an event that, that I thought of that really stuck out when I, after I wrote this question and was thinking about it was an event we did in January of 2020. So a few months before the pandemic with Chuck Cohen, who is an emeritus professor of history here at UW, one of my mentors, he was on my dissertation committee and he had a new book come out. It's one of those very short introductions by Oxford on the Abrahamic traditions. And this is Chuck, one of Chuck's major areas of specialization. It's a 80 page survey of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, which is crazy uh, to even attempt something like that. And it ended up being a really good book that's actually being assigned in classes and everything else. And so it was great to be able to celebrate Chuck here right when the book launched, force him to give a 45-minute lecture on that book, uh, which is uh, difficult as well, as you can imagine. And uh, and it was, it was a great talk. And what really I remember about the event, though, that connected with this question is just the really interesting cross-section of people who showed up. We had a pretty good audience, probably 100 people or so, and there was an interesting mix of academic people from the university who knew Chuck or who were interested in the topic, a very, one of the more, at least since I've been here, uh, religiously diverse groups. Uh, We had a local Muslim leader introduce Chuck, and Chuck himself is Jewish, and he was in a Christian space. Uh, So it it sort of embodied the Abrahamic traditions in that way. And then I just, I saw people that I was really happy to see at Upper House that, uh, mostly from the university, that were there mostly to see Chuck, but we felt like we were doing a service uh, there for the community. Uh, And then finally, the, the food, which was some riff on sort of Mediterranean food, was just really good. And that's a props to Rebecca Cooks, who is our hospitality coordinator. But good food always uh, sticks in my mind, at least <laughs> when I'm thinking back on events as well. Okay, well, that's the, our conversation. Hopefully, uh, that gives you, the listener, just a little insight on how we think about programming, the unique skills and gifts that we each bring to that process. Of course, if you have questions, uh, please email us at podcast at slbrownfoundation.org. And until next time and our next episode of Inside Upper House, thanks for listening. Go in peace. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Andy Johnson, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.